Hey, welcome everybody to the Sonic Truth podcast about everything vintage gear and beyond. I am Justin, along with my host, Chris Yetter. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> so we're going to, uh, this is our first episode. We're going to kind of break things down and introduce ourselves and how we met and what brought us uh, to where we are today. So let's rewind that clock in time and go back a couple decades to... Decades. 2000. Yeah. I decades. We're old farts, aren't we? Yeah. Early 2000s. Yeah. yeah. That's how long we've known each other. Music definitely is what brought us together. I was working in Atlanta at the time. Uh, you were here in Florida. And I was visiting, working at Transcontinental Studios. Um, well known for being the boy band studio here in Orlando, amongst other things. Notorious. Yes. Very notorious. <laughs> Very notorious. <laughs> so we just did music there, I promise. That yeah. was all. So That's all we wanted to do there. Absolutely. And so when I was there, I had a chance. I met a British lady by the name of Jillian, and she had mentioned to me that there was this group that she was working with from Daytona Beach. And I'm like, well, you know, my family just moved in that area. I'm like, maybe next time I come to town, I'll come and meet with the guys. And sure enough, it was a few months later, we came back and we met in a, uh, a smaller town just east of Orlando called uh, Sanford. And it was there I met Sean, who at the time was a drummer. And I think it was you and Glenn, which yep. is Sean's brother. Yep. And I think you guys were on the hunt for a singer, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Always seems like we were on the hunt for a <laughs> yes. singer or between them. The rotating chair of being in a band. <laughs> is it the drummer this year? Is it going to be the guitar player? What have you. But yeah, that's how we met. And yeah. um, gosh, in the past two decades, we have worked together in the studio. I have done a lot of live sound, monitor, front of house with you guys oh, yeah. throughout the years in Florida. And, you know, we've hung out and really become good friends throughout the years. So I'm excited that, you know, we're doing new things together we're kind of branching out from our musical element staying within the musical element but maybe not so much on the creative yeah. side of the musical element but still uh catering to our passion uh which is anything revolved around music or audio or really media or entertainment you know allow you to do what you love to do pretty you much. know it yep so you know, with that being said, doing what you love to do, what was that transitional point for you to say, hey, maybe the creative thing isn't paying the bills as most of us has experienced throughout the years in the music industry? Well, I mean, for me, it wasn't about being um, making equipment to, to get out of the creative field. It was to, to fuel the creative field. It was, you know, oh, I, you know, I can't afford this vintage piece of gear, so let me build one. I and, guess. you know, find all the vintage parts and do that. And then, you know, I'll have this and it'll make our record sound better. You know, right. that's, that's how this all started. <laughs> and it just sort of snowballed into, wow, you know, other people want these tools. Other people need these tools, you know, and they need them for a really good price, you yeah. know. And everything, the cost of, you know, anything related to the creative fields, you know, how devalued a lot of things have gone you know Ooh. so absolutely it really just started that way it started just out of necessity you know well you know i can i can recall many of nights years ago um doing live sound with you and we would take a break i know you're gonna hear the story a million times <laughs> a million one will add to it 
And I can remember all the guys hanging out, going to the bar, taking shots, smoking. So I was there with them, you know, and everybody looked around like, where's Chris? He's <laughs> in the van. Like, what's he doing? So me and another gentleman, a good friend of ours, uh, rest his soul, uh, Jamie, were really the only two who were kind of like the gear geek heads who had a passion to kind of understand really what's going on with this piece of equipment. Why does it sound the way that it does? So on these band breaks, you know, I think they're like 15, 20 minutes long. And trust me, we would treasure those 15 or 20 minute breaks. <laughs> oh, they were gold. Yeah. <laughs> so lo and behold, I'd come in the van, low lit light, if light at any. And there you were sitting in the captain seat of a 19, was it 83 Astro? Oh, it was like an Uncarico van for oh, sure. Oh, gangster. Yeah. <laughs> and there you were just researching just hours, well, not hours, but minutes on end on your break. But it would happen every time we were doing a gig. It happened on the way to the gig and, and, and leaving the gig too, especially coming back from Orlando or wherever we were driving from, you know? You know, and so there's always that, you know, the saying is like, wow, your success, it just happened overnight. You know, and it, from the surface, it may look like that way. And, you know, especially for people who haven't embarked upon a, a long career path yet, there's so much more to the story than what's on the surface. And, you know, the hours my boy spent in that van, you know, people may have looked at him at the time like, oh, man, you should be hanging out with us. Why? Guy was educating himself. And now it has turned into a beast and it has turned into a dream job for most people. I know a dream job of mine would be able to say, hey, guys, I can hire my friends, Right. But to hire your friends and do it within a passion that everybody is equally passionate about. And I think that's everybody's dream, whether it's audio, whether it's computers, or whether it's makeup. No matter what your passion is, to do it within your collection of buddies, that is a win-win in itself. For sure. And what's great is, you know, not only are a lot of people that work here friends, but they they understand everything to do with this equipment and how to make it and, you know, what it's... Yeah. And result will will be, you know, it's Absolutely. not just like somebody's like, let me punch the time clock and they get equally excited, you yes. know, no, it's just, it's a, it's, I'm grateful to be here every day doing this. Like it's my life's passion, you Dude, know, it's, and like it's all our lives every passion. day, man. <laughs> <laughs> every day we come in here, you know, and I'm testing out a new piece of equipment or listening to a new EQ that just came off the shelf. It, it's just amazement. You know, it's like ear happiness. I'm giving my ears pleasure as I call them, it's an eargasm. <laughs> they enjoy that. So, you know, it. so you started doing the guitar pedals. And I remember you had initially started doing a few batches. Maybe was it like three or four at a time you initially? In fact, what yeah. was the first guitar pedal you created? Uh, the don't first pedal I created was uh, like a, I don't even remember the circuit. It was a clone of some fuzz that I had the parts because I ripped apart like my mom's VCR and <laughs> I love it. I love uh, it. and yeah, I just I found all the parts on a VCR PCB and it's I a those. video cassette recorder in case <laughs> and, you don't know what a VCR is. <laughs> yeah. And well I figured we didn't have a use for it. You know, now I'm like, oh I got all of these old VHSs and I wish you still had the VCR. <laughs> VCR. But and then I built like yeah, I mean we literally started yeah, I didn't have the money to even buy like a couple sent parts that you know back then, you know, like oh, yeah. in the mid two thousands when I started, you know early mid 2000s started doing this, you know? And yeah, I built, I think I built another fuzz out of like a light bulb, like those, you know, those Ooh, energy, yes. like at one point, <laughs> but, um, 
I think the first formal pedal I built was like a rat, you know? And nice. I, yeah, and I, I sold it on like eBay back then and someone was like, this is awesome. And it, that just was like the biggest confidence boost to just keep going, you know, that somebody actually dug something I, I built. So Absolutely. And I think that's the greatest form of, you know, gratitude, you know, the satisfaction of when somebody says, wow, thank you. That really satisfied what I was trying to achieve. You know, and it's that element of it. It's like, yes, and then it makes you want to do more. But there was one pedal. In fact, wasn't Tommy a part of this initial batch? By the way, Tommy is our mascot. He is, uh, he could be a little bag sometimes, but that's okay. We we respect his opinion. Um, does he want to say anything? Is he feeling up to it tonight? Oh, Tommy. There, oh, ooh, that little... Now, how did Tommy come to life? Uh, Tommy actually was born out of, uh, we had a tour we were doing uh, up the East Coast, and I wanted something unique for this tour, and we actually had like a, ro a robot as part of like the, the album artwork. So I, I found a toy robot, I, I drilled a hole in his head, and I put a photo cell up there. And turned <laughs> him into drilled a, a hole in his head, <laughs> the poor guy. <laughs> and I turned him into an optical theremin. He's got uh, volume and uh, tone control, and he's got an octave switch on him as well. So um, Saved his life, ultimately. <laughs> yeah. So Tommy 2002, I think, is what the, what the toy robot was called. I, I, I can't recall. I think, it's, I think it's still blazing 2002 on the front of it. So. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it's pretty rad. <laughs> well, I'm glad he's going to be here at every show with us because um, I need somebody to argue with every now and then. He seems to be like one of those. You know, he kind of looks like, I don't know if you remember Flash Gordon from the late 70s. I don't hardly remember it either, but there was a mean guy, a bad guy that had the lights <laughs> like him. <laughs> could be mistaken with the early tron i don't know You're but kicking it back that's, yeah taking it back that's, i'm i'm early 80s so. all right well late 70s here i'm like gi joe transformers you now know. i could dig some gi joe and some transformer stuff no doubt but tommy yes we love tommy and getting onto the pedals there was if i'm not mistaken a salt and pepper shaker pedal is that right? Didn't you have a yeah, salt and like pepper a McCormick, shake? Uh, a McCormick? Pepper, yeah. Yes. And Is that, do you have that around here somewhere? Yeah, I think it's on my pedal board over Is there. It? Okay. Like well, we may it. have to break that out and show these guys later, but he actually, explain it. <laughs> no, I just built a crazy fuzz circuit inside there and I, I had all the switching on my uh, bypass switches on the bottom of my pedal board. So I didn't even have to like add a foot stomp switch or anything. It was really easy. <laughs> Trust me, if you're at the regular gig at a regular restaurant out on the porch... You got a customer just walking about, and he's had a couple, many, two drinks. Maybe he's hungry. He may look down at your pedal board and be like, you sure use some pepper on my <laughs> oh, yeah. fries or fish? Let me grab some of that. <laughs> I mean, the thing looked great. It was really cool. But back to the pedal boards, it transitioned then into not only one board, but didn't you build, wasn't it Jamie that needed a board for his on-stage oh, performances? Yeah, there was like an old light, like a Chave light box. I like built like four cir pedal circuits inside of and like just yes. we would switch between all of them like just crazy. And I, I, I remember the day, fuzz circuits. the week that Jamie had gotten that from you. He, I mean, guy was an amazing bass player, you know. Um, you know, he's very well missed. But I, I tell you, when he had gotten that, he treated that like that was gold. 
I, I sh- and then after the first week, it was back to treating everything else like normal. <laughs> but the first week he had it, he treated it like gold. Oh, yeah. He was very proud of that thing. Yeah, he's... And it was one of many. And then it there was there had to have been a definitive moment though, right? So you've you got Tommy the robot, you got all these guitar pedals, you got the the McCormick pepper pedal, you have now a Jamie's pedal board. And then somewhere along the way you decided you wanted to jump into vintage audio gear. Same as the guitar pedals, necessity. Yeah, I, you know, we were doing a lot of self-recording, like, you know, home recording, and I just wanted these tools. And I always knew, you know, that walking into, like, all the best studios I, I went into had really cool handmade boutique gear. Like, they didn't have, like, like super big name brand stuff as much sometimes, but yeah. they had really good handmade boutique gear and that's what I wanted to do. So I started with guitar pedals knowing this, that this is what I wanted to do. And I did guitar pedals for about five years actually. Um, and during that time, like around 2012, 2013, I started to get more serious about recording equipment and was mm-hmm. building point to point versions of, you know, the LA two a and, you know, the, you know, Poltec equalizers, things like that. And when I was in a session with, with a good friend of mine, Brooks, uh, he was doing our producing our EP in around, I think it was 2013, maybe even earlier. And he's like, you know, I'm not super into, into hardware, but the one thing I would use would be a really good stereo bus compressor. I was like, oh, I'll build you a bus compressor, you know? And, <laughs> and for some reason, it gave me the hardest time, but I knew that it would be a great entry-level product for a company. And I actually had a guitar pedal that was that was like an original line of pedals called Audioscape. And I was like, man, that's a really cool name. name. You know, I was like, I'm just going to use it for this company. I didn't even think about it that much, you know. And it the just lo- naturally happened. Yeah, I already had like the font picked out and everything from way back then. So it was like, I started you know, doing the VCA style bus compressors. And it, you know, took me a while to like the first one I think I built didn't work and it just gave me a bunch of problems. And eventually I got it going and we were done with the session. So I wasn't able to give it to them, you know, for a while. And then I just started, I started selling them actually just to, and just, I would, the first one I built, there's actually probably about the first three to five I built were done with like inkjet water slide decals. They weren't even silk screened. Wow. And I would just t- sell those till I had enough money to, to buy formal cases. And then it would kept growing. And then about a year or two later, I was like, Hey Brooks, remember that idea you had? And look what it's turned into <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah. So I, I sent him a unit. I was like, here you go. You know, oh, just cool. for the idea, you know? Now the question is, is he a hardware fan now? I believe so. All yes. right, good, good to he's, hear. He's got a, a, a tape machine. He's still he's more hybrid, you know. Still, you yes. know, from what nothing I, wrong with that. Nothing wrong with yeah, that at all. What he's told me, but yeah, great dude. Um, but yeah, that's how it started, and then it was just then the opto. Then I think we did the MEQ third, and it just snowballed. We just kept going at it, and I was just. It wasn't like, oh, let me build this new product to satisfy. It was just to satisfy myself. Like I wanted to achieve like what's next. And it's still like that to a certain degree. It's like I really enjoy product development and 
like learning every little Easter egg that's in the, you know, old schematics out there and things like that. I, I also enjoy original design as well, but the, you know, I think there's something to be said for these classic circuits that it, they're still super relevant. It's not like anything's pushed them out. Of- no, not at all. You know, and that kind of, you know, leads us into what I was going to bring up was the, the origin of what, you know, a compressor was actually meant to do. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a there's a few theories. I'm not old enough to date myself that far, but you know, there are some theories out there. The main one theory, obviously, is you know, before they were going to give it to uh, the label, or specifically at the time, the um, uh, the promoter who was going to take it to these jukeboxes around the country, they wanted to slap it on something to let the consumer hear it first before they committed to it and before they would master it. So they just popped it on there just kind of for the hell of it. Just to dress it up. Yeah. Yes. And I believe, compression, too, yeah. some of these older limiters, you know, I'd have to break out my notes here because I'm not, I'm not as keen in on what's behind the equipment as much as you are. I'm really more of the front end user. Well, um, end user. Yeah. Yeah. But, and, I, you know, I believe that these limiters they had used back, I want to say maybe in the 30s. I could be wrong here. Um but the limiters were meant to prevent the equipment from being blown up. Yeah. And the engineers were like, wait yeah. a minute. No, 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 no. Let's put that on the audio and see what happens. And sure as shit, that's ultimately kind of what happened. You know, there's a couple ways this kind of came about. Um, but again, the circuitry, you know, you were mentioning how relevant that still is. Can you kind of explain, like, you know, dating, you know, back to the 30s and the 40s when they started doing certain pieces of this equipment? I mean, it's evolved. I mean, a lot of them were old tube mono compressors, various types. You know, VCA, you know, that did not come around, you know, 70s, 80s. Yeah. You know, you you have Varimu compression, you have optical compression, you know, really in its heyday in the fifties, there's every single type still has its merit. Yeah. Today's absolutely. age. I mean, you know, and that then, you know, brings up the next question, you know, somebody always, well, what kind of compressor should I get? <laughs> no, it's like, well, short answers, all of them, all of them. Right. That's the best answer. Uh, you know, same thing with the, well, what type of car should I drive? You know, it all depends your terrain, how far are you driving, how many people are in your car, you know, how fast do you want to go, how slow do you want to go, how sharp do you want it to turn? Well, Same thing with audio. Well, at the end of the day, if you're a carpenter, you don't go, what kind of screwdriver do I get? You know, it's like these are all precision tools that are used when you deem them, you know, necessary in with the proper source material. So yeah. having an arsenal is really where you want to be, even if it's hybrid, you know, and, and start sprinkling it in. And I understand those questions. Like, what do I get first? Right. Yeah, exactly. And that again, pertains to what are you trying to achieve? You know, and again, everybody's, um, there's a saying and not a saying, but there is a method of describing music and colors, right. Um, or in terms of, you know, you need something a little warmer, need something a little more brighter, you know, a lot of people reference that that vintage sound. You know, what what is that vintage sound? I, I to me, I believe it's just more the hardware aspect of it, the circuitry, the fact you actually plug it into electricity. You know, there's something about that. Yeah, it, it, bandwidth limited in the best ways possible. 
is a, a good way to describe it as well. You know, like squishing, you know, the low lows and the high highs nice. and yeah. everything that you makes music pleasant is what you get the best of in that frequency range with, you know. Now, I'm going to share a story. When I was an intern, I interned at Platinum Post Studios in Orlando, Florida under Gary Platt. Gary Platt was the co-founder of Full Sail. And at the time, we were working on John Phelps' album, who's the other co-founder of Full Sail. So in my first six weeks as an intern, I was assistant engineer on the both owners of Full Sail, recording his album to pitch it and yeah. trying to get a record deal. Lenny Castro, the percussionist. Jeff Pivar, one of the most best bass players I ever met. Many session players. And then there was a gentleman in there. Uh, he was producing. He was Shep Pettibone. He did a lot of Madonna records. And he and my boss, or at the time Gary Platt, walking around the room. And they were plugging in this guitar amp into different electrical outlets. <laughs> and I, I could be mistaken. It may not have been Shep Pettibone, but I believe it was. And they came to this one outlet within the control room, and they plugged it in with this coffee maker. And like, that's the tone. Me, I'm 19. I'm sitting back in the couch. I'm like, what the tone? I don't hear anything different. Well, after the sessions were done for the day, the uh, second engineer at the time, Ken Lanchney, uh, rest, his, rest in peace, my friend, uh, he's like, yo, let's, let's bring out the meter and the multimeter and let's see what these guys were doing. It's like, so I really didn't hear anything either. Yeah. And he had 10 years experience on me. Uh, so we run around in each of the electric outlets. We tested. Everything came out fine, came out fine. We came to the one with the coffee machine in it. Again, I'm not an electrician or know too much about it, but I know that meter was not reading right. My boy was like, well, that's weird. I'm like, what? You guys, this is off. He's like, this outlet should not be powering as much as it should. Yeah. The circ something was going on in that circuitry that gave that guitar amp a certain tone. Yeah. All right. So when people say, you know, I can get that with my plug-in. <laughs> I have to say in some occasions, try. Because there are certain tones that you just cannot recreate. And a lot of it is done by fault. That leads to something we'll talk about in the future about the 808 drum machine, how that was mistakenly designed. Um, yeah. So, again, it goes back to this, um, you know, tangible aspect of this hardware that is going to give a certain element to your music, to your sonics that you're trying to get, you know. In Most that, definitely. Yeah, I, I could imagine if it was spitting out a higher wall voltage, you know, the circuit's going to run at a higher voltage when it converts that power transformer. It, you it know? blew my mind. It really blew my mind because in all honesty, I'm like, what the hell is an outlet going to do with the color or anything of its own? And it did. Yeah. Enough to where these two guys heard it and everybody else in the room looking at each other like, what the oh, hell When you first mentioned doing? it, I thought they were just trying to find the quietest outlet. Right, yeah. Sometimes <laughs> See, that's, yeah. that's, that's, you know, <laughs> they were that's a thing, you know, for sure. And especially in a lot of home studios, finding good, just good, clean good, power. Clean. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's a thing in itself, man. Um, You know, but... You know, to, I guess, sum it up, you know, so the bus compressor led to many of other things. And now, you know, AudioScape is into um, podcasting <laughs> and there are many other surprising things on the horizon that we will share with people in the future. Um, but I guess we'll close this episode out with thanking everybody for taking the time to listen in and viewing in. 
and uh, we'll try to be a little more organized next time. I think we're getting the hang of it. Yeah, for sure. We're getting but, there. Yeah, you know, and us. Tommy, yeah. our friend here. Oh, he doesn't want to talk right now. Oh, yeah, he does. That noisy little prick. Gotta turn him on. Oh, oh, yeah. All right, okay, we'll shut him down <laughs> for the day. But, it's uh, like the most annoying sound yes, in the world. Yes, right? <laughs> These photo cells up here. So, yeah. But, uh, hey, Chris, on that note, man, I will catch you on the next episode. And um, is would you like audioscape.com? Is that yeah. proper? Audio scapecom com. And you can find us on the Sonic Truth on YouTube and on all podcasting platforms. Until then, stay creative and be well.